Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official Westmeath. No county loves Renault more. P.O.Brien.ie When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Oh dear, so no Katie Taylor fight in Croke Park this year. Maybe they're still expecting Garth Brooks to fight with Dublin City Council instead. Who knows? But next year, they hope Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano will go ahead. Fingers crossed. Good morning. Coming up today, how do you rate our remote working hubs? Because a new incentive aims to lure you in if you haven't tried them already. Good news... Alcohol use among teenagers is on the way down. Bad news, cocaine seems to be taking its place. Brian Clunan will be here for DIY at 20 past 10. Questions in already, and feel free to add yours on 083 30 10 103, text or WhatsApp. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. And why we need blue flag beaches in the Midlands. What would be the advantage in trying to compete with the seaside resources? Well, one man in Athlone feels we're missing a trick by not having blue flags on our lakes. Now, what's on the front pages this morning? Rather disturbing headline on the front of the star. Monsters clink. And it shows you images of the five men who last week were jailed for a combined 66 years for the sex attack on a teenage girl here in the Midlands. And the paper has followed up with sources in the Midlands prison to suggest they're being held on A-Wing, which is reserved for sex offenders, and that it's intended to keep them safe from other members of the prison population who might be as outraged as everybody else at the terrible ordeal that young girl faced. It does note, by the way, that one of the men, uh, Connor Byrne, 24 years of age, of Ballybeg, Moat, County Westmeath, he is understood to be serving his sentence in another prison and is being kept separate from other inmates. So that's on the front of the star. If you wish to read more, the Irish Times, looking at the leaving cert that is taking place today, properly, for the first time in three years. And the big mystery is... When will you get your results? So you sit the exams today as normal. It could be late August. And the fear from uh, the third level sector is the later the CAO system allocates places, the later college will start. So the headline on the Irish Times, appeal for teachers to take examiner roles. The State Examinations Commission is making a last minute attempt to woo more teachers into its ranks but after a fairly hectic uh, academic year uh, teachers are quite exhausted uh, there was the additional pressure of COVID-19 as well and so it says in the Irish Times the commission will increase the fees paid to teachers if they mark papers by an additional €6 Euro 
per script, which it says is an increase of 50% depending on the subject and the level marked. Will it be enough? The main headline on the Irish Independent is about banking. So Ulster Bank and KBC are pulling out of Ireland. And if you have a current account with those institutions, you need to find a new provider. And it should be, emphasis on should be, a straightforward process to switch from one bank to another. But it's not. And the central bank is now getting involved, says the Irish Independent. More than half a million people who are looking to switch banks are finding the process convoluted and difficult and restrictive. And the central bank, its job is to make sure the process is as seamless as possible to encourage competition. So, watch that space. Uh, The banks could be getting another rap on the knuckles. Another headline there, by the way, employees, if you are allowed to work remotely, if the boss is happy with you staying home for a few days a week, well, there is another option. You don't necessarily have to be Billy Nomates in your own house, with the dog barking, with the neighbours calling around, with all of those distractions. You can go to a remote working hub, and there are many of them being set up around the Midlands. And the idea is... You don't necessarily have the long commute to Dublin or to Galway or Cork or wherever you normally work. But you will still have the social contact. You'll be in an office hub where others over the water cooler can engage you in conversation. But you still have a space that is your own to stay focused and to get on with the job. And according to the Irish Independent, to tempt you in there, to sample a remote working hub, the government will make three days available free of charge. And typically, it says, the fee is €25 per day. So they'll give you 75 quid as a temptation. Anyway, that's on the front of the Irish Independent. What is inside the papers this morning? Anything of interest? Um... This is a rather concerning development for parents. So, on one hand, new research shows alcohol usage among teenagers is on the way down, and they are older and older by the time they sample their first drink. So, 20 years ago, most people had sampled an alcoholic drink by the age of 15. Now, hardly anybody aged 15 has tried a drink. But by the age of 17, most people have. So it says the average age has moved from 15.6 years to 16.6 years over a 20-year period, which all sounds good. However, then you get into drug use. And instead of drinking, it seems, many have turned to cannabis and even cocaine. And it is more prevalent, it says, among girls than among boys. And also, drunkenness is more prevalent among girls than among boys. And then when you get into the types of drinks, boys are drinking beer, girls, more often than not, are drinking spirits, which give you that lag. You can have a shot of vodka, but you won't feel the effects for 15, 20 minutes, so you go and have another shot of vodka. So this is new research from the Health Research Board, which we shall discuss in more detail after 10 o'clock this morning. Portleach Prison is highlighted in the Irish Times today. 
It is the country's maximum security prison and inmates there are divided into various blocks and paramilitary prisoners are housed on E block and they are subject to less stringent searches than other categories of inmates. Many gangland figures, for instance, would be held on C block and they have very strict search procedures in place to prevent drugs getting into the prison. So what's reported in the Irish Times is that some paramilitary prisoners are taking advantage of the lighter searches. In April, a consignment of drugs was found in the prison worth €30,000. That's an immense amount to get into a prison, much less the country's maximum security prison. And so the theory the prison service is following up on, what they're investigating, is that inmates have been using the prison kitchen as a transit hub for drugs, that paramilitary prisoners have in effect been selling these to gangland inmates. A little industry all to themselves. That's in the Irish Times. Picture of Lisa McGowan in the Irish Independent, Lisa's Lust List, you may have heard of it. She's from Tullamore. She was working in the family insurance business up until 2016. And then she won the Best Dressed Lady competition at the Galway Races. And that catapulted her career as a social media influencer. So now she has her own website, which sells promoted products, beauty, health, travel, homeware, and of course, fashion. And her social media following is immense. She's got hundreds of thousands of people following her various accounts. And this all helps her bank account. Because according to the Irish Independent, new accounts filed by Lisa's Lust List Limited, try saying that when you're drunk, uh, accumulated profits doubled to 1.24 million euro. That is a successful entrepreneur. Well done to her. Now, moving on to the lighter side of the news. The latest on Love Island, covered in all of the tabloids. Gemma Owen, uh, that's Michael Owen's daughter, which she wants you to know. She wants everybody to know. It's her claim to fame. Uh, apparently, she thinks she's old-fashioned. She made that remark on the show the other night. And uh, Twitter was alight with derision and slagging. Old-fashioned. She's 19. How can you be old-fashioned at 19? She was only born yesterday. But anyway, the big story tonight will be the arrival of two sexy singles. Mm. So two ladies will be coming in and their message is, watch out, I'm coming for your man. So cats among pigeons, or cats in this case. Uh, final one for you from the Irish Examiner. So Ireland is in the bottom third of European nations when it comes to what? When it comes to our bathing water. So if you go for a swim in the majority of European countries, you will be swimming in water of far higher quality than Ireland, which when you consider the amount of coasts we have, the amount of waterways, and how relatively unspoiled our landscape is, something is seriously amiss compared to far more built-up countries. Um, countries such as Poland and Slovakia were found to have um, 
were found to have similar problems to Ireland. But Austria, Malta, Greece, Croatia, they had the highest standards. 95% of their bathing water is to the highest possible standard, which is quite an achievement. So it's one of our tourism uh, Achilles heels, not having bathing water to the level required. And you're going to meet a man later who believes we're missing a trick, not just along the coasts, but in our midland counties where we have the lakes such as Loch Ree, Loch Derivara, Loch Ool, and we have uh, other waterways too, which could be put to good use for tourism. But we don't have a blue flag and he feels we need a blue flag. So how do we get one? What advantage would it be? What do we need to change in order to do that? That's on the agenda after 11 o'clock this morning. Now, still to come on Midlands 103 this morning, would you rather work at home or in the office? Have you tried the third way? That's in 15 minutes. I'll tell you what that third way is. Now, first, when somebody you love is nearing the end of their life, your focus moves from trying to save them to making sure they are as comfortable as possible, that they are as dignified as possible into those final days or final weeks. And the team in the Midlands who are responsive, uh, responsible for palliative care, they're always learning. And so they have just produced new recommendations which are the first of their kind in Ireland guidance on the principles of high quality care for patients who have diabetes and are nearing the end of their life. So let's explore what they're proposing. Mr Michael Cusham is a consultant in palliative care medicine at the Midlands Regional Hospitals in Portlaoise and in Tullamore. Michael, good morning. Hello, well, good morning. Thank you for having me on your programme. My pleasure. Before we talk about diabetes specifically, can you describe the work that you do and your team? Well, I suppose our main focus is to manage patients and, uh, <clears throat> uh, and, and alongside the families to manage the symptom control and the overall sort of care of patients who are uh, approaching end of life for whatever reason it could be due to cancer which used to be by far the commonest reason for our involvement but nowadays we're more involved in patients with longer term illnesses you know such as heart failure kidney failure chest problems etc neurological diseases so we're really all about quality of life it's not so much quantity of life but quality of life improving the patient's overall physical and mental well-being and and trying to get them as much support as we can to to enable them to live their life to the best possible level mm. you know for the illness they have and many people may have the impression palliative care kicks in only in the final hours or in the final days but what you're describing there sounds like it takes place over a much longer period or could at least yes we certainly i mean i have seen people in casualty on the day they were first diagnosed with cancer so if the patients at a very early stage of their illness have severe symptom control issues we will become involved and certainly as you say there is a myth out there that we're really focused on the last few weeks of life i would say that's a relatively small part of, of what we do, but it is obviously crucially important at the same time. 
So we would often be involved in patients' care for months or years before the patient dies. Um, and in some cases, uh, you know, I, we would be dipping in and out of their care depending on if they go through various crises, we may need to get involved. And then once they're settled and comfortable, we leave their care back to their own GP and public health nurses, etc. So people can go through different phases of their illnesses where they might need our involvement and where they might not need our involvement. Well, one of the first phases, no doubt, will be the emotional impact of such a diagnosis of receiving that terminal news and what supports if any exist to help people through that well certainly there i must say there has been a new document out nationally where they're looking at um, uh, the provision of psychological care for cancer patients nationally. We're not quite at that full stage yet, but we certainly within the palliative care teams would uh, very much focus on the psychological aspect. We, we have our nursing care, our nursing staff. We have myself and the other doctor on the team, and we have... Um, um, our po- uh, social workers who would be more focused on that as their main kind of activity, but whereas all of us on the team would have a certain amount of expertise and focus on the psychological aspects, but it wouldn't be the main thing we do. You know, that would be so like social workers and hopefully in the future there will be more psychological care provided nationally for particularly cancer patients and other patients with chronic illnesses. Let's focus on diabetes, which is the subject of your new recommendations. Talk us through a typical journey that somebody might go on towards end of life with diabetes. Well, usually the patient would have already got a diagnosis of diabetes. So they would be, when you're diagnosed with diabetes, um, there's two main types. There's type 1, which is essentially a lack of insulin in the body. And then there's type 2, which is essentially a problem with the the functioning of insulin and the regulation of blood sugar levels in the body. So the type 1 patients tend to be mostly younger patients, but uh, there is an overlap. And the, the, the patients with type 2 tend to be a bit older, and they would often have many other medical illnesses. So as as they're first diagnosed with diabetes, there's very much focus on this is a, when diabetes is first and and it, when insulin was first discovered back in the 30s. So the main focus of diabetes then was to save people's lives. But as time has progressed, it's more focusing now on preventing the long-term consequences of diabetes. So um, blindness, kidney problems kidney failure, blood vessel problems, uh, you know, circulation, etc. So there's a massive focus on those aspects of diabetes. So to, in order to achieve that normally in diabetes, you have to attain a quite a strict level of control of the blood sugar levels. So there's very strict and a very tight control trying to maintain the blood sugar levels within a very tight margin. But as you are approaching the end of life, one of the key aspects of what we're recommending is that you need to kind of uh, loosen those controls. And uh, part of what we're saying in the document is that you have to kind of negotiate this with the patient and the family because they're so used to the tight control and you have to sort of be, uh, we've changed focus from preventing long-term consequences of diabetes to just simply maintaining good symptom control 
So the two main acute problems with diabetes is too high a blood sugar, which can be very dangerous, or too low a blood sugar, which can be even more dangerous. So we're trying to loosen the controls so that they're less likely to go particularly low. And we, we are not as strict on the higher levels because it's really only above a blood sugar, about 15 to 20, that you will get symptoms of a high blood sugar, you know, thirst and, and, and uh, drinking a lot and mm. passing a lot of urine. So but just so we're clear in case anybody's half control. listening, Michael, at what yes. point would that become appropriate? Right, well, we have in the document, we have kind of it phased through. We sort of, it really starts with the last two years of life, which is often not an easy thing to decide with a patient, you know. And then we go towards, particularly in the last months and, and certainly in the last weeks and days of life, there's much less tight control of the diabetes. We're trying to simplify the treatment. So if they're on three or four times a day, then we're trying to get that down to once or twice a day, less frequent finger prick testing for the blood sugars um, and all of the those things which make life easier, though it can be difficult, as I say, for patients to lose that um, maybe a lifetime of managing their diabetes very strictly. It can take, could take quite a bit of work to get them to accept that this is a change of emphasis, but it's a good emphasis for them as an individual. Do you know what I mean? Now, heretofore, you've been relying on UK guidelines to direct the care of a patient. So how much do you deviate from those in making your new recommendations? Well, I suppose we don't deviate massively, but we have changed uh, quite quite a lot of the the emphasis on on it and um, uh, kind of made them more focused, perhaps on on Irish customs and way we deal with things. You know, um, well, it's it's hard to say exactly in what way, but it is a, a significantly different document to what the UK guidelines had. Yes, sure, and and we are very much focused on the 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 simplified management for healthcare professionals, you know, in our document. And when you develop guidelines within a region of Longford, Westmeath, Leash, Offaly. Um, what checks and balances are there? Who looks over your shoulder? Who reviews oh, yeah. it? So what we, peers? Uh, we, yes, yeah. So we have used all of the diabetic specialists in the Midlands. We've used uh, one of the care of the elderly doctors. Uh, we've used um, various members of our teams, and we've also used uh, the, the farm, some of the pharmacists locally. Um, we had a dietitian involved in giving advice. And we also had it approved by the three, there's a drug and therapeutics committee in each of the three hospitals in the Midlands. So they all approved this document as well. And uh, they all went through it, you know, quite thoroughly. And would this be embraced nationally eventually? Well, we have uh, we have presented this to the National Clinical Care Programme for Diabetes. And um, and has been well received there. Uh, obviously, these national things need to take, tend to take a bit longer to get uh, kind of approved, etc. So we're kind of waiting. We're reasonably hopeful that they will be adopted. Maybe slightly changed for national guidelines, but we we are very hopeful that we got very positive vibes from the 
National uh, Clinical Programme. And what prompted you to begin the process in the first place, given that we haven't had guidelines yeah. of our own in Ireland until now? Well, it was really the, it was actually for particularly, well, the, the group of, there's a group of specialist diabetes nurses who meet on a regular basis. And, and they saw basically the gap and they approached me and I was more than happy to become involved. So it really was, it came from, from the diabetes specialist nurses, the advanced nurse practitioners and the clinical nurse specialists in diabetes across the three Midland hospitals and the community diabetic teams as well. And they I just, just believed there was a better way of doing things. Yes, exactly, yeah. Well, that speaks volumes that they're able to affect change while, and, and yeah. that, that that's yeah. to be encouraged. So for yeah, patients... They, they had been thinking about it for a while and, and they approached me and, and I was as I say, more than happy. This process now, we've actually started this about three years ago. So the COVID situation obviously put a bit of a, a, a slowing down on the whole process, you know. But for patients and their loved ones, the main change will be the emphasis in later life on the less stringent blood glucose values. Uh, and better symptom control of the diabetes, yeah, to make sure that symptom control is maintained with less stringent diabetic control. That's basically the, the nub of it, yeah. And if families have any queries, how can they find out more? Well, this um, this document is available on, on the internet um, um, but they'd probably need to go through their diabetic uh, clinical nurse specialist. I think that would be the best way to do it. Because I don't have an easy to remember. There's a very long name. You know, the website, it's not just diabetes.com. It's a very long name with lots yes, of well, letters on it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Per- perhaps the HSE will make it available for sharing or indeed we'll do it here at midlands103.com yeah, well, as well. well. It, there is, there is a, there's a barcode on the document we have and it was made available to various people. And it's going to be an app for in the Midlands for, for healthcare professionals it's going to be put on an app that's used for other things and so we're hopeful it will be out there anyway and readily available Michael grateful for your time thank you for taking the call thanks a million Will thank you Michael Cushion is a consultant in palliative care medicine at the Midlands Regional Hospitals in Portlaoise and Tullamore next would you rather work at home or would you rather work in the office There is a third way, and I'm curious if you've tried it. If you're nervous about how he or she shall fare in the exams today, well, many celebrities have been interviewed in The Star, looking back on their own leaving cert and how much, if any, impact it had on their later careers. Oliver Callan, for instance, he is the comedian and impressionist, and yes, he had a great, great leaving cert, 495 points. And he went on to do journalism, and he was a newsreader. But now he's a comedian. It has nothing in the wide earthly world really to do with his original career path. So how much did the Leaving Cert matter in the long term to him? Miriam O'Callaghan of primetime fame. She got six Bs, she says, in 1976. And she loved history. Uh, But is the Leaving Cert fair? Yeah, she reckons it's about as fair as any system you can develop. At least it is based on merit. Uh, Lorraine Keane says she got five honours and two passes and again went on to do journalism. 
and she was an AA Roadwatch uh, reader first and has gone on to do many other things. So, yeah, you kind of have your first career and then your second career and third career. And they say uh, teenagers today will have up to six careers, not six jobs, but six careers over the course of their working life. Times are changing. But where will they base themselves? Will they be at home? Will they be in the office? Because in 2022, there is a third way. Remote working hubs have been established in many communities across the Midlands. And the idea is you have the benefits of the office because you'll have fast broadband. You'll have some people around you, at least for the social connection. And you'll have a quiet space when you need to concentrate. You won't have the dog barking. You won't have the postman calling around. You won't have the nosy neighbour checking up on you, which you would have at home. But you don't have the long commute, which you would have to the office if it's based in Dublin or in Galway or wherever. And to encourage you to sample remote working hubs, the government is considering a free three-day pass so you can go in and test them out. Well, let's find out how they operate in practice and who tends to use them. Paddy Boogie joins us from Mount Melek. Tell us about what you're involved with, Paddy. Good morning. Good morning, Will. Um, yes, I manage the Webmill Digital Hub here in Mount Melek, our remote working hub, or as I sometimes like to call it, the local working hub, <clears throat> because people are, uh, should be working closer to home for many reasons. And how many people of avail people? of the facility? Um, well, at the moment, we'd have uh, 10 people who are here constant, and we have about five or six other people who are using the hybrid method at the moment. So we will welcome the minister's initiative because a lot of people don't realise the convenience of the hubs. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realise that there's a hub within 10 kilometres of most uh, population centres in Ireland now. The government has invested very heavily in getting the infrastructure in place for people to use. Uh, in their locality. And the type of people who use this varies from everything from the traditional office job to the person who's starting up their new uh, high-tech business or someone who is trying to um, design and do artwork or do marketing or do something like that in them. So there's a a variety of um, different types of jobs going on here. We also obviously have the IT people and the support centres, call centres, things like that. So there's a a wide variety of jobs that you can do here. As as I, I once said to someone, if you take the analogy of a, a tractor, you can't repair the tractor in here, but you can design the tractor, you can organize the finance to, to right. buy a tractor, yes. you can do all of those kind of things from these remote working hubs. Um, so it's basically anything that's kind of office-based, you can do from here. And, and as you, 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 I have to say, you, you really outlined all the major benefits of working in hubs already here, so I won't repeat myself on them. But I suppose one of the things people have to realise at the moment, there's a couple of things facing us as a country and the world, really. So there's climate change, there's the cost of living and housing crisis in the country. And uh, so from that point of view, you take it from climate change point of view. If I was driving to Dublin every day in my car, I'd be producing about six tonnes of carbon every year. I'd be putting up about 50,000 kilometres a year. 
I'd be working 90, I'd be traveling for 90 working days. Now, if you said to me, well, Paddy, I want you to work for free for 90 working days. No, thanks. I think I might have a different conversation with you. And the annual fuel bill would be a little over 6,000 a year. Now, the cost of living, if you were to come into a place like here, you'd be looking at half that in costs. Even if you pay for it yourself and your company doesn't pay for it, you're still saving about 3,000 a year by working from a place like the Webmill or any of the hubs uh, in Leeson around the country. Well, just to play uh, devil's advocate, Paddy, if you can work remotely, why not do it at home in your own space rather than still get up in the morning, put on the suit, get in the car and go to an office? Because you wouldn't get to meet me, Will, if you did that. (laughs) (laughs) The whole idea of coming into a place like here, Will, is really to have the office atmosphere. People are more productive in the office atmosphere. People like to meet people because what has been found recently is in the hybrid version, when people go back to the city to work a day or two, they spend half the day talking because they're trying to catch up with people. And that's just human nature. We all like to talk. Where if you're in, in regularly coming in here instead of working from home, God forbid, like, the, you've already outlined the... Um, the distractions you can have or maybe someone wants to watch Love Island because they didn't see it last night and they turn on the the, the the player to look at it again. You know, things like that. So when you're in here, you're in a working atmosphere. You're actually networking with a lot of people. It's a business atmosphere that you're in and you're doing business and you're finding out more and you're keeping up to date on latest trends and things like that. If I base myself in my bedroom at home every day, um, should just, I'll, I'll turn into a vegetable after a while because I'll be just in my own little zone. Well, yes, and absolutely for mental health, there is value in routine. We are creatures of habit. I'm definitely convinced on that. Now, if the minister's scheme works and a lot of people are tempted to try the three days free, how much capacity have you to take on more people? Uh, Well, I'm going to say something now, and maybe I should and I shouldn't, but I'll say it anyway. All of the hubs around Ireland are underutilised at the moment, and that's why the Minister has uh, brought forward this initiative. Um, The government has spent, as I said, hundreds of millions in putting the infrastructure in place, Uh, but then COVID happened and people were told to work from home, so that's where they kind of started. So in order to get the value back out of the the hubs and the investment that the state has already put into them, she's making this initiative because, I I hate to say it, but not all hubs are fully utilised. No more than my own is not fully utilised currently, as are are neither of the one. rest of them in Leash in the Midlands and around. But the whole beauty of it is this will give people a taster. Um, It's like... uh, you 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 come in. You you get to see it, and like one day is really not enough. You want to try it for a few days, and and in most hubs they will give you a few days free as well, just to get in and get used to the place. And from there, then you, uh, I think you'll stay coming, even if it's only on a hybrid basis. You'll stay coming, or you'll come full time into them. <laughs> Paddy, if it doesn't work out, you have a job as a salesman. I think you'll be hired by any company <laughs> going. <laughs> Connectedhubs.ie for anybody who wants to find out where their local hub is and more about it. Thank you, Paddy. Cheers, Will. Thank you. Paddy Buggy runs the Web Mill Digital Hub in Mount Mellon. Good morning. Do you ever feel like you're too old to wear something? Now, I'm that man who is at the stage where you have to decide do you keep wearing your shirts out or should you tuck them in? And then, in other situations, you know, the body shape changes, so the type of clothes you wear have to change along with it. And you're probably finding the fashion industry doesn't give two hoots. They're all aimed at very beautiful, bronzed, 20-something-year-olds. Well, we've finally found a fashion expert who gets it, and she's here 
from a quarter past 11 this morning. Should we have blue flags at our beaches? Yes, we have beaches in the Midlands, the likes of Coosin Point, Hudson Bay, the list goes on. And what benefit would a blue flag bring? Well, you'd meet an Athlone man who's convinced we're missing a trick here. And the inner workings of an Eastern European drugs gang have been revealed after a man was jailed following a drugs bust in County Leash worth nearly two and a half million euro. The details of that at a quarter to twelve. Now, the programme is put together today by Claire O'Brien, who's been very busy online with her iPad, and I'm very curious what's caught your attention. You've got that grin that suggests something is amiss. Well, you, you know what that we have to... We, we research really, really hard for the programme, and we have all kinds of bits of information coming into us from lots of different sources. And very often, you know, when we hear... When we, when we get an update on something that's happening in Athlone or Westmeath or in Moat or in Tullamore or in Port Leash, sometimes it's advertisements for houses... Other times somebody selling a mirror or a mattress mm, mm. or seven lambs. Yeah, or you dogs. have to scour all of this detail. That's why it was Ireland's current affairs show of the year a few years it's, ago. Mm-hmm. It's all in the public service. But yesterday, while I, I was looking through all of those um, uh, sources that had come in, I found an ad for something that I haven't seen in our inbox before. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um I mean, you talked about age, so I don't know if we're of an age that we that we you know that we're even considered for for part of this. But I'll read it out, um, and it is on a website called Locanto, and it is about a fun couple looking for a female to join them. She must be thirty eight. So if you're not thirty eight, um, you'll have to. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> entertain yourself otherwise. Sorry, um, a, a fun couple. Looking for a female to join them yeah. who has to be 38. Has to be 38. Exactly 38. Okay, yeah. keep going. So, fun and down to earth couple looking for a bi or curious female to join them. He's 41 and bi curious, and she is 38 and also bi and curious. We're looking to chat first and happy to swap pictures once a connection has been made. We're based in the Midlands, but don't mind traveling for a night out. Get in touch if you're interested. Who responds to those ads? Because presumably you wouldn't place the ad if you didn't think you were going to hear from somebody. Well, you know, you could ask yourself the same question about the ads that appear in the the Farmer's Journal, in the dating pages or in the back of the... Ireland's own. The Ireland's own. Oh, famous. Yeah, and people are very specific with their requests. You know, people have to, you have to be of a certain age, perhaps, or certain interests. I was doing a little Google there myself to see if I could find some, but really extraordinary requests that people have. Um, and I suppose particularly, not so much with this particular ad here, but but with the with the Ireland Zone and with the with the Farmers Journal dating, people are of a certain age and they've decided what they want and what they don't want in their lives. And they're very particular that someone has to be of a certain age or have good road frontage or have a good sense of humour, be a smoker or a non-smoker or likes their dancing or doesn't like their dancing or likes Nathan Carter or doesn't like Nathan Carter. Um, And they can be very specific in setting out the terms of the relationship in advance. So, you know, we want to meet for chats or for walking or for company or for nights at the theatre or for more interesting things. But I'm curious, when you let's say answer the ad you meet up initially for the chat knowing that it's leading to a threesome yeah 
How does the conversation go? What do you small talk about? Well, there were, I'm throwing uh, it know, out there as if you're the person you, with the answers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 no, no longer being 38, I am. I'm. You're out of the market, I'm disqualified. Yeah. Out of the market for this. Um, I I don't know what comes up in the chat. I I I wonder is it about your your previous experience in being the happy third on a on a bicycle? I don't know. And is it that couples become more secure as the years go by? Because in the beginning. When I suppose I'm talking when you meet in your 20s and not everybody does, it may be later in life. But, you know, we become less concerned about what other people think of us as the years go by. Then eventually we realize that we're never thinking about us at all. (laughs) And therefore, are you more likely to explore these things when the years advance? Or are you more adventurous as the stereotype goes when you are in college, you know? when you're in band camp? Well, when you're in band camp, I would say there's probably two stages in that. There is probably the college and the band camp stage and then there's the middle settle time perhaps in the traditional way of, you know, the old-fashioned way of doing things. And then maybe, as you say, people get get older, get a bit settled, maybe curiosities that they might have had when they were younger that they didn't engage in. You know, you might find that that now is the time to deal with it. But 38 and 41 is, you know, for the couple who are involved Mm. in this, is is not old. Um, And they've been liberated, I suppose, by the Internet as well, because you can advertise now to a much wider audience quite discreetly. Yeah. In a way that you couldn't before. It would have probably been whisperings. Uh, But what strikes me also about the the conversation that we're having is that we're... uh, that we're speaking from about it from a very traditional kind of way, as if this is not our t- typical way of life. And for many people, it it is a way of life. You know that the old-fashioned and ordinary way is that you would have one partner, you'd stay with that one partner forever, um, and that you wouldn't have other relationships, or you you wouldn't have relationships with three or four people involved, or open relationships, or that you wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, be bisexual mm. or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Well, again, once upon a time, they had a whole lexicon in the Ireland zone for exploring, shall we say. Well, RC, Roman Catholic. TT. Teetotaler. Yes. SD. I don't know. Social drinker. A social drinker. Okay, we'll go to some of the longer (laughs) ones now. VGSOH. Very good sense of humour. Yes. Well done. <laughs> You've done this before. I knew GSOH. I have to say that when the when the Farmer's Journal is on the table at home, I do sometimes have a peek at the ads at the back. And that is not, let me be entirely clear about this, not because I'm looking to replace the farmer in my life, but because the ads are occasionally very interesting. Uh, here's one that appeared in the Ireland Zone once. Irish gent, blue eyes, 50, tall, dark and handsome, of course. Uh, home and business would like to meet a single lady or somebody in an unstable marriage who would like to start a new life. I mean, talk about direct. (laughs) Say how you really feel. Uh, CW is beside quite a few of these. Country and Western. Country and Western fan. Daniel O'Donnell woman, 59, looking for a decent, good, caring, respectable, happy male Companion for Daniel's concert in Killarney next August. This was in the Ireland Zone. I'm not making it up. True story. A Dublin man, 54. Christian Brothers taught. Average hair, moustache. Loves Dolly Parton. Fresh air, cats. Would like to speak with 
Irish-speaking ladies. I suppose if you're in the Grail tax. Yeah, your I, market I'm, is smaller. I'm I'm interested uh, as a as a teacher in a Christian Brothers school, in in the fact that you've been educated in the in the in the way of the Christian Brothers is a. Uh, Why did he reference it? I'm wondering. Is it to do with discipline? Is anyway, we could overanalyze this to death, I suppose. Um, where are you? Is another one. Is there anywhere on this planet a decent, honest, reliable, trustworthy, tall, handsome hunk of a man? over the age of 60, who actually knows how to treat a lady. These are real feelings. They are real feelings. And there's, you know, there's a real sense of loneliness sometimes for people because we have to remember as well that we've had two years of COVID. And, you know, I know there's a certain generation of people um, who who would have been dancing all the time and they would have been out. And what, and, and what the cynics among us might sometimes call the grandma-granny nights, uh, and I possibly we might get the text lines lighting up. I, I, I calling it that. But there's a lot of people who danced in various places all across the Midlands. There'd be somewhere on a Monday night, somewhere on the second Saturday night of the month, somewhere the third Saturday night of the month. And those opportunities are gone, and people are very reluctant to come back to dancing. I know from from hearing from people who are in that kind of space that they that the numbers haven't come back, and some of the dances haven't kept going. And 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 of course in the old days, some of the stories. Um, that you'd hear about about the dances would be extraordinary. You think you've been out in the world, Will? You have not been out in the world. So don't be surprised then if this couple... Are they in Port Leash, did you mention? They are in Port Leash. Um, if they, they get an answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they're, they're, she, uh, if, if you're 38, we would love to hear from you, actually. If you have, if you put this ad in, uh, if you think you might like to reply to this ad or give us a shout. 0818-300-103. Thanks, Claire. We shall move on to the rest of the day's more serious news in a few minutes. And now, with thanks to Aramount Furniture, Clonkolleg Tullamore. Quality furniture for every room at the right price with free delivery. Find Aramount Furniture Tullamore on Facebook. In his shop, he sells everything from veg to outdoor heating. But every Wednesday, he's got an appointment for a very important meeting to disseminate his voluminous knowledge on all things DIY and respond in kind quickly as Will Faulkner's insults fly. It ain't easy being Brian Cloonan. Well, he earned his money today. He did, in fairness. Even managing to rattle that off was impressive, much I, less uh, come up with yeah, it. Yeah, in fairness. I was listening to yourself and Claire earlier, and a couple of things struck me. One, Claire's search history must be interesting. She was describing her, what you, if you looked into her Google, of course, it's all purely for business, for work, but it must make for an interesting search history. It must. No, the other no, thing that thing I heard you say that... She's uh, got good solicitors. You get to a certain age when you stop caring about what people think. Yes. You obviously stopped caring about how you dress a long time ago. But here's a question. At what yes. age? Okay, so right now I've got the shirt tucked in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. You come to a point in life where you have to decide. Yes. Is it still okay to wear the shirt out? Well, you see, what happens is, and you see, you're not there yet. So uh, you get to an age where your children say, Ah, Dad, what are you doing? Tuck it in your shirt. So then you have to untuck it. And then you realise, okay. It's the other way around. No, no, no. So your kids, no, 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 no. Your kids, uh, so 
I would well you see it depends but with a formal shirt obviously you know you're, you you took that in you're wearing trousers and a formal shirt you took it in but if you're wearing a casual shirt you let it hang out now I would have been of an age where I would have took that in but then the kids say no no dad you don't tuck in a shirt like that you leave it hanging out yeah. Why, is that changed again? Yeah, oh, I for thought For God's so. sake. <laughs> for God's sake. How are you supposed to keep on top of this? This is the problem. This Holy is the problem. divine. Anyway. There was me swanning around with my shirt tucked out thinking, I'm cool. No, the problem was you had it open. <laughs> anyway, we've got a fashion the expert. Is, the problem is I thought it was, A, I used the word cool, which, you know, obviously is uncool. Anyway. Yes, we have a fashion expert who actually knows what she's talking about. From 20 past 11 this morning, not just for the gents, but for the ladies as well. Uh, because in fairness, body shapes change over time. Sure. And you can be left with this dilemma, even with grey hairs. Some people, you know, they've colour coordinated their clothes according to their original hair colour. And then suddenly the greys come along and you need different shades. And anyway, it yes. can be a complicated well, and thought, stressful exercise. Never thought of that. Yes, indeed. You don't have that problem, do you? No. <laughs> no. Okay, down to business. First question for Brian, and this is the DIY slot, by the way. <laughs> Not the fashion slot. Peter in Mount Melick says, we have uh, large trees quite close to the house and because of their proximity, blocked gutters are an ongoing problem. Okay, so the debris flies off oh, the yeah. tree, gathers in the gutters. Now, I'm able to clean uh, the gutters myself. It's a fairly disgusting job, but... <laughs> Is there something that would reduce how often I have to do this? Don't want to move the trees or the house. <laughs> OK. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough in that, in that case, Peter. Um, yeah, I suppose the first thing I'd always say to people is if you're cleaning out your gutter, uh, try and wait for really dry weather. It's, it's, I nearly said it's a joy to clean it out. Comparatively speaking, it's so much easier. If, you, if you're cleaning out your gutter and everything in the gutter has dried hard, they just come out as long pieces of dried muck. It's, it's fairly well effortless. If you had a blow vac, you can take out the big bits and then blow vac everything else and it just pops out and it's all very easy. Wear goggles always when you use a blowback, by the way. You can get an eye infection very easily or a thing in your eye very easily. Um, but if it's wet, oh my God. I mean, he's quite right. It is a horrible, mm. disgusting job. So try, if you can at all, to wait for dry weather. And then pop in what we talked about before, the Hairy Molly, the Hedgehog. There's, there's all sorts of different brands out there. There are four Can you meter, describe, just yeah, for anybody unfamiliar it's with It's a four metre long bottle brush really is what it amounts to. So you, we all know what a bottle brush looks like. It's, 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 except this thing is about four inches or 100 mil thick and it runs, it goes into the gutter, just sits in. The beauty of it is really it's so easy to fit and, and it, once you don't mind climbing the ladder and getting up there um, and always remember if it's a two, look, always be, remember, be very careful always doing any job up around the roof line of the house. If you're not very comfortable doing it, make sure you get somebody else to do it who is comfortable in doing it and who is insured to do it. Very important. Don't just get the next door neighbour in to do it. Get somebody who's a tradesperson who is insured to climb up there and do that job. But it just pops into the gutter. The rain coming off the roof all runs down into the gutter. Any leaves or debris or anything like that sit on top of the bottle brush. And then once the rain, once the wind comes, it just blows it all off. So you don't get the build up in the gutter, which is fantastic. Jennifer has the next question. She has a white pipe under her sink that has been dripping for ages. 
and she has telephoned several plumbers at this stage to come and fix it. None have arrived to do the job. That's a shock. So she needs to fix it herself or she's going to have serious problems with the timber uh, underneath. How do you fix a leaky pipe? I suppose the first thing you'd always say in fairness to the plumbers, you know, it's a small job, but it's a small job that can make them look bad. And what I mean by that is if I'm a plumber and I'm going to call to Will Faulkner's house to fix the drip under his sink, it's a very small job. But, you know, I don't live next door to Will Faulkner, so I have to drive there. I have to do the job and then I have to drive off to the next job. So I could be 20 minutes driving to you, do the job probably in 15 minutes and then another 20 minutes. But now I have to charge for that whole bundle of time for a very small job, which makes me look expensive if the customer Mm. is not of a mindset that understands that. Yeah, they'll say he charged me such and such just to fix a pipe. Yeah, Yeah. they just don't see the bigger picture. Um, So in fairness to them, that's why a lot of people will run from something like that. It just it doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, I think no, what's frustrating is they're saying they'll come and oh, they don't yeah, That's come. very frustrating. Yeah, in fairness. Look, if you don't want to do the job, just yeah, say it. I always say to trades people, just please, just tell me. Don't. When will you do it? And it doesn't matter if it's three weeks away or three months away. Once I know it's genuinely happening, that's fine. Um, look, you can get a various things. You can get stuff called SOS tape, which you wrap around a pipe and it's called self-amalgamating tape. It doesn't stick to the pipe. It sticks to itself and it makes for a very good seal. But I think in this case, because it's waste pipe, so there's no pressure on this pipe. What I mean by that is if you have a leak in, in the pipe coming, bringing water to the sink, there's pressure. It's going to be spurting out water or it's going to be quite a strong drip and it's going to get stronger over time. This is waste pipe under the sink, so it's not. there's no pressure on it. So I would say the best thing is one of the spray leak fixes, I think, I think Leak Fix is one of them actually, but it's a, it's an aerosol spray and looks like a kind of deodorant and you just spray loads of it on and it puts on a clear seal, um, like a plastic coating. You know, if you sprayed it on a plastic bag you'd ne- and let it dry, you nearly wouldn't see it. A clear plastic bag, you nearly wouldn't see it. It's completely clear. But when you pick up the bag and start flexing it, you will feel that it has a, pla- a thick plastic coating on it. So it's brilliant for a leak like that. Wouldn't necessarily use it for mains pressure, but I'd definitely use it for... And there's various different brands. One of them, I think, the more I think about it, it's called Leak Fix. Uh, I don't know who makes it, but there are various brands. Midlands Today's Mr. Fixes with a range of living and sitting room suites including beautiful Italian leather suites at Aramount Furniture Tullamore. A deposit secures yours. Visit Aramount Furniture in Cloncolic Industrial Estate Tullamore or find them on Facebook. Brian Clunan is here until 11 o'clock this morning and your question is very welcome on text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. WhatsApp is great because you get to include pictures as this next person did showing a doorway with a stone surround. They say they want to restore the stone without sandblasting. I used a thick paste that I painted on and tried to scrape off. That didn't succeed. Uh, it was a back door uh, when the house was originally built in 1900. So, okay, so they're trying to remove paint from the con- is it concrete or stone? Did yeah, you say? it's stone. And my oh, impression is, if you look at the stone, restore stone, slightly so. dirty or whatever, I ah. imagine they want to bring it back it look, to life. The, does it look painted to you? The stone? Yeah. Uh, no, okay, not so really. we, oh, let's, it's hard to judge from that. So let's say it's painted. If it's painted, there, I've zoomed in for you. 
Put on your glasses. Yeah, it has been painted. Talk about age. Yeah, it's painted, it's painted. Never mind painted. wearing your clothes so, properly. What you do, <laughs> what you do is uh, get one of, he was quite right, or he or she was quite right, to use the paste paint stripper. Um, but paste it on, get cling film, pat the cling film into place to keep it. So many a thing we talk about are improved by putting cling film on it to stop it drying out. And this is one of those things. And in fact, I actually suggested it a couple of years ago to a guy who is, uh, and he's even older than me, and he's uh, a car, he sprays cars. And no one had ever said to him before about, he was lamenting how the new paint strippers were not any good anymore, which they had disapproved. Now, they've improved again, but they went through a period with legislation where the old ones were no longer available, the new ones were pretty well useless. They have improved again since. But if you paste on the paint stripper, so peel away one of those paint strippers that you paste on, get cling film or palette wrap, put it onto it, pat it into place, make sure that it doesn't fall off. It mm. needs to be tape it into, tape the edges in with masking tape or duct tape or something like that. Leave it for a couple of hours and then take off the, the uh, cling film and then power wash it immediately. Now, just be careful. There's paint stripper going to be flying around the place. So no small kids, no pets. Mm -hmm. uh, but the power wash, it's now very soft. You'll never get it all off with a scraper. A you might get it off with a brush. But the power of water. So what you're going to do is take off the thing film, get a brush and a cloth. So when I say a brush and a cloth, get a scrubbing brush, wrap a cloth around the brush and wipe down. And then a fresh bit of cloth each time so that you're, you're getting off as much as you can manually. But before it dries, then power wash it. So just pick the worst area and do one area like this. Assuming then it works for you, you've set the target, you know what to do. I wouldn't try to do the whole thing in one fell swoop because it'll be dry by the time you get to the end of it. But if you did half of it, mm. but even just do a test area, but I'd be very quietly confident, or quietly confident. <laughs> yeah. I'd be confident. You'd never be quiet anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps put on the product in the cling film the night before, get up in the morning. No, two or three no. hours is enough. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Uh, the only concern I have looking at this image, it could be inside, oh. in which case you know, the power washer could create oh. other problems. It could be inside is right. But then you're back to, remember I said, you wrap a cloth. So you know the likes of Wonder Wipes or these heavy duty wipes that you can buy. So what I would do is a Wonder Wipe, which is slightly damp and quite a strong cleaning agent in its own right, and a scrubbing brush. So you wrap the wipe around the scrubbing brush, you wipe down, and then you take off the wipe, you put another wipe on, and you wipe down. So the bristles of the scrubbing brush are getting into the stone in a better way than anything else, but you're not, you're doing a fresh piece every time. So rather than rub it back into the stone, every time you give a scrub, you, you change the wonder wipe, um, and you're throwing them away so that you, you're not wiping it back into the stone. Next, is there a product that can be painted onto a lead valley to stop leaks? The lead is showing signs of wear and tear. Little scratch marks are appearing. Any advice? Greatly appreciated. Yeah. A, a lead valley? A lead You see, a lot of things won't stick to lead. So uh, a lot of, in inverted commas, normal products just won't stick to lead. Now, what I would say to you is, if you're going to do this job, even though the tin probably says you don't need to, I would say get up there with some fine steel wool and give the whole thing a rub down because uh, there will be a build-up on it, and it also, if, if you clean it down with the steel wool, 
it slightly roughens it and it's always easier for a product to stick to something that's slightly rough as opposed to very smooth. But the other thing is there will be, I mean, if you don't, if you've, you're actually supposed to use a thing called patination oil on your lead every few years. So sometimes you'll see where if you have a, if you have a lead valley and say a slate roof, you'll see white running down onto the slate from the lead it, it's it's from oxidization of the lead it turns it white and it runs down so the patination oil is something you rub on if you ever if you have that problem uh, you get some patination oil specifically for it some steel wool and you rub it all down now in this case you're not using the patination oil you're just using the steel steel wool and you're washing the lead down before you start and then you use a thing called Evercrill and Evercrill is a very thick now there's other things like it I'm sure it's the one brand I rec- I know but there's other brands out there similar it does specifically stick to lead it is quite thick but it will stay in position on the lead and it has a degree of flexibility so uh, and it comes in a grey which would be fine for the lead or a clear um, obviously clear fine for everything it's used for sealing if you have uh, a steel container that has sprung a leak there's a lot of movement there with frost and so these are the sort but the lead valley is the most popular use for it ever acryl e-v-e-r-c-r-y-l i think and it comes in in the smallest i think is a two and a half liter which sounds like a lot mm. but it doesn't go far so it's not that much just the patination oil come back to that yep is this something you should be doing for maintenance and prevention ongoing yeah I, look, once every three or four years really it's it, it would certainly if you feel there's a problem with if it wasn't done sometimes it's not done day mm. one so if it's done day one you're fine for a number of years but if it wasn't done then you definitely need to do it right and again applying it is much the same as you've described is it yeah just steel wool, steel wool and, and, and away you go yeah away you go all right every three to four years yeah all right Next query, 083-3010-103, is from Patricia, who says she has red brick pillars, which, ah, here we go. You know, the white powdery substance? Oh, yeah. Actually, Did that. you say this was calcium or what? what is it? Yeah, we get it so much at this time of the year. So and I, I should finish the question. We know. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yes, so, yes. so red brick pillars and this powdery white surface uh, substance has appeared on the surface of the bricks. Yeah. So how to remove So it. it's all bricks and it. it's not just red brick, but it happens with bricks all over the place. And again, at this time of the year, it becomes more noticeable because the weather is, well, in theory, the weather is drier. So there's lots of people listening now. And when you say this to them, they say, oh, yeah, I have that at home. This is where the brick uh, has mineral salts in the brick. So what happens is when the water goes into the brick so it's a wet day water comes down from the sky into the brick and then on a nice day like today that water evaporates out and in the same way as if you get water from the Dead Sea and you get a big flat container and you you know fill it with water and wait for the the uh, water to evaporate away, it leaves the salt behind. And this is how, you know, certain people, the ancient Romans used to get their salt by doing this. They'd collect the water, let the water evaporate away, and the salt would be left behind, and now they had their salt. Um, so this is the very same thing. The salt, the mineral salt, has been left on the surface of the brick. Um, so you need to do two things. You need to remove the salt. So you need to get off dry as much as you can. So a scrubbing brush, just the old-fashioned scrubbing brush, and a bit of old-fashioned elbow grease, 
and give it a good scrub. And then what's left, you don't wash it off. You get a brick acid and you gently you brush it on, give it a couple of minutes, scrub it off, and then wipe it down with a damp cloth. It is an acid. Be careful. Make sure and wear protective spectacles anytime you're using an acid and you're scrubbing because you're sending, you can be sending little bits of the acid around the place. So be very careful. But it does work. And then once it's all clean and it looks fantastic, you need to seal the brick or it'll happen again. So you get a thing called water seal, which is really easy to apply, quite inexpensive, well, relatively inexpensive, loads of different brands out there. And the only thing to remember when you're applying the water seal is that it needs two coats. The second coat, it's a bit strange, the second coat has to go on while the first coat is still damp. Okay, And you always go in two different directions. So if you look at, a, say, a brick pillar that's running up the house you'll be going the first coat with a brush up down not a roller because a brush works it in up down up down and you start at the bottom or you start at the top and work your way down and then as soon as you're down at the bottom you go back to the top again but instead of doing a brush stroke up down you're going right and left so because it's a slightly uneven surface that's the only way to make sure that you're completely covering the brick it's completely crystal clear it soaks in you won't even know it's there but it does make the brick look better anyway, but it also stops the water from going in. Brian Clunan is here until 11 from Clunan's Hardware in Tullamore. After 11, a new support service if somebody in your life may have a gambling problem and how you can get help for them and also guidance in broaching the subject. Then style as you approach middle age or even move past middle age and some of the questions that you may have are already very welcome on 0818 300 103. Julie Cobb, style coach, shall be here. Brian Clunan is here from Clunan's Hardware until 11. Uh, the next question then concerns uh, a product for an entrance gate to prevent paint falling off. So this is where perhaps the dry lining hasn't been put down when the gate was built and the damp is moving up through it and the paint is falling off? Oh, sorry, not, not the dry lining, the, the damper of coursing. Damper yes. of coursing, sorry, yes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Um, well, I suppose really the best thing you can try for, hope for... Should clarify, we're referring to the pillar. Yeah, so this would be a wall outside where the, the paint is flaking off because the moisture is coming up from the ground, I presume. What you're, have you a picture there? No. 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 Well, um, actually, let's answer it in two ways. So okay. one, it's the pillar. Okay. And in the other case, maybe the gate itself, the paint is flaking. Yes. Okay. So, so there would be a different reason, oh, oh, different cause. Completely, yeah. So, on, well, it sounds as though it's the pillar. So if it's the pillar, what you're doing is you're, you're I would always power wash. So power wash the gate. If you're going to be painting both, Power wash the gate, power wash the pillar. Everything that's going to be loose and flaking will come off. A gentle power washing will do an awful lot more work than um, getting out with your wire brush or your scrubbing brush or whatever. So if you've access to a power washer, power wash everything, leave it to dry. I would say get one of the microporous paints that allow a bit of breathing. So there are various exterior paints like Santex that allow a degree of movement of moisture coming out. And... Um, Make sure and brush on a really thin coat first. Work it into the paint uh, with a brush. Uh, always, if you're putting on a paint like that, if you work it in, its adhesion is much better. It sticks to the wall much better. So using a brush, it's, not, it's a bit of a pain, 
but it's worth it. Uh, in the case of the the gate, look, I would always say, depending if there's rust, if there's rust, you use a rust neutralizer, then use a rust primer just in the rusty spots. And so you can buy a, an air, a large aerosol tin without mm. spending a fortune of rust primer, prime the rusty spots, and then paint it with a good quality paint basically in whatever colour you want to paint it with. Just a question though if it's flaking should you get the old paint off? Yes that's why if Will was listening Sorry. carefully I suggest You <laughs> went through it at 100 miles an hour <laughs> If you if you, if you power wash the gate all the loose and flaking paint will come off Okay fair enough Next, he hates getting. You should see his face, <laughs> folks. He hates getting caught out. He has the hand in his. He, he's his hands on his head, and he's just raging at being caught out. Easy. You make it sound as if I'm here paying attention to you, but not. Okay. <laughs> that's exactly. In, in, in that's reality, exactly what you Yeah. In reality, I'm scouring through all of the questions that people are, want you're answered. You're reading the newspaper. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, Arlene in Athlone is next. So she has used Roundup on the weeds of her driveway and her yard and they're dead, which is fine. But she says her back is practically broken trying to pick up the weeds that have died and are still there. I mean, it doesn't dissolve, it doesn't disintegrate them, they remain. So she's wondering, is there any tool or technique that is less backbreaking but will clear all this dead stuff? Yeah, so... Look, the longer you leave them, the more dead they become. Like, they nearly get to the state. No, seriously. <laughs> the, the more, more they dead, break down. The more dead yeah. they become. There are degrees of death. The, the, the more they break down and they become easier to remove. So mm-hmm. don't do it too soon. Wait till they're really well and truly brown and yellow and almost coming off of their own accord and just get a garden hoe and hold the ground. I know it's it's tarmac or gravel or whatever it is. Just hold, hold everything away. Break the, the seal of the plant, break the the connection between the soil or the concrete or the gravel or whatever it is and the plant and then just get a rake and rake everything up. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a great fan of being down on my hands and knees trying to pull weeds like that. So I always use long handle tools whenever I possibly can. I, I'm not, a, I have a problem knees, so I can't um, kneel. I, I can kneel down. I just can't get back up again very easily. All right, next. We have a fabric shower curtain which has become black towards the bottom. Now, it's probably mould and I have scrubbed it and I put it through the washing machine. But unfortunately, the stain remains. It was a really good one and it matches the bathroom and I can't find a replacement. So, how do you make good? So, I think what I'll be doing in that case is, depending on the colour of the fab- of the, the curtain, so if it's a strong colour, if it's any, you know, strong, vibrant colour, this I wouldn't probably chance this. But if it's a, if it's a white or a pale colour, I would try um, a Milton solution. So, Milton mix, a small bit of Milton in water, soak it for about an hour, and then put it straight through the washing machine at the hottest wash that the, the uh, material will allow. So if it's polyester, you're probably not going to go, if it's a, fa- a nylon or polyester, you're probably not going to go above 40 degrees, but you could chance 60. And but by soaking it in the Milton for the hour will make a huge difference. All right, next. A bird dive-bombed our car and I left the bird droppings on for a week. I'm convinced there's a patch of discoloration there now. Is there anything that will disguise this? 
Um, so a week, a week is a, a week very. We we always mention the fact that you should always wash it off because it is it has got. Uh, uh, it's probably an alkaline rather than an acid, but yeah. the effect is the same thing. If it was there for six months, I'd yeah, expect you'd that. imagine it, yeah. So I wouldn't think so. But look, a little bit of wax would probably be enough. Just wax up the, the top. But if it really came to it, you'd be using a little bit of tea cut on it. But you're giving yourself a bit of work that it doesn't need. Mm. I would just say wax it. And then ask someone else independent to look at it that isn't convinced it's there in the first place. Because it can be one of these things, once, once you see it, you're convinced it's, it's a problem. But I'd say waxing it up will be fine. Yeah. Uh, 083 103 on text and WhatsApp. Thanks for all the messages. We didn't get to them all. But Brian shall be back next Wednesday, 20 past 10. Or you can drop into Clunan's Hardware in Tullamore. Give him abuse in person if you wish. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Brian. Good morning. Now, still to talk about today. Do you ever feel like you're too old to wear something? Or that your body shape no longer suits the outfit? Or that you maybe have too many grey hairs to match the colour these days. Help is at hand in 15 minutes. Also, why you should care about having blue flag beaks and how the inner workings of a bugs gang have been unravelled following a bust in County Leash. When you call 0818 303, that's my number. You can text or WhatsApp if it's easier. 083 30 10 103. Now, when somebody you love has a drink problem, the signs can be quite obvious. When they have a drug addiction, again, physically, you can see evidence of it. Gambling, of course, is a more insidious condition and it can be harder to pick up on the signs before very much somebody is in over their head. The good news is help is at hand and a new service has been launched here in the Midlands. The bad news is that it seems there's more and more demand for their services and at a younger age as well. So let's find out more. Pam Bergen is Chief Executive of Gambling Awareness Ireland. Pam, good morning. Good morning, Will. Can you talk us through some of the trends in uh, dealing with gambling at the moment, given that we've online gambling, which didn't exist 20 years ago. Uh, Children even in gaming are being encouraged to uh, familiarise with uh, game currencies and and, and in effect gamble from a very young age virtually. So what are the trends that you're dealing with? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole landscape has changed over the last number of years with the online platforms. So it's it's no longer a case of, you know, a person having to leave the house and go out to the, the local betting shop to place their bets. Um, it's available, you know, on your phone 24 hours a day. So it's a completely different kind of landscape now and the problems are, are completely different than they used to be. So, um, you know, with that in mind, um, we decided like we had to respond to the needs um, out there and to make the services easily accessible in local communities for anybody that's um, struggling or coping with any kind of harmful gambling. And even what people consider gambling is changing. So maybe if white collar gambling in the form of cryptocurrencies and uh, day trading of stocks and even when you open up your Revolut app these days, you can access all of these things. So what do you define as gambling? Well, like you said, it has changed. I mean, um, Really, it, it it's it, it often like it just goes completely unnoticed until you know it it becomes a problem. 
um, you know, it's um, people get involved in all different kinds of, you know, the cryptocurrency thing that has come up in different um, for different service providers where people get in over their heads with that. I mean, parents have expressed interest and, and, and concerns over loot boxes and all of that with the gaming, um, you know, and then you have uh, access to all kinds of uh, casinos and um, different platforms across the Internet, all the different apps. So really, it's, it's, it's become just, you know, a huge problem um, and a problem that needs a response. And that's why we collaborated with the, the National Forum of Family Resource Centres. Um, to look at providing services to people. So this will see 20 family resource centres across the country provide a confidential, affordable counselling service for anyone affected by harmful gambling. Now you said affected by, does that include relatives? Yeah, so well, uh, I suppose really what prompted this was the Minute report was published last year and it estimated there to be 55,000 problem gamblers in Ireland. And it also echoed international research on how for every one person identified with a gambling disorder, at least six other people are directly affected. So these people are partners, their parents, their siblings, children and friends. And like the addiction itself, you know, they're mostly unseen and under-supported. So that branches out to over 300,000 people then? It's a huge cohort of the population, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and we want people to know now that you know, there, there can be a stigma, as you said, around, you know, any addiction um, and people might not know where to go. I think, you know, in the in the gambling discourse, um, the, the message can get lost that there is support out there and there is support for families now for anybody struggling that they can um, go to the local family resource centre. And these centres have an excellent track record in providing like a broad range of supports and services in the community to families you know they're easily accessible there's no wrong door approach there's um there will be referral pathways and signposting family resource centers work in partnerships with like their local maps with st vincent de paul so if there is a, an issue in a family where um you know due to gambling debts um that bills have gone unpaid and that people find they can't cope there will be a wraparound service there to support those people well when it has come to that point, I suppose there's very clear evidence of harm. Somebody skipping their mortgage, for instance, putting their financial well-being in jeopardy to feed a habit. But at an earlier stage, it might be harder to address and easier to dismiss. What I mean by that is, and I can only compare this to drinking. I, I, thankfully, I've never had a gambling problem, but occasionally I drank a bit too much and you would always try and dismiss it and say, ah, well, you know, I can give up any time. I can, uh, you know, I, I haven't gotten locked in a jail cell or, or whatever the extreme might be. In gambling, what should you watch for that suggests a problem is brewing? Well, this is the difficulty. As you said, it's not visible. You know, um, you, you can you can always kind of tell, you know, somebody's intoxicated, whether that's um, due to alcohol or another substance. With gambling, um, the problem can really go unnoticed for quite some time and people gambling compulsively can be secretive. You know, family members would report what they would notice is maybe a change in, in moods, you know, somebody becoming more uh, irritable, losing interest in other areas of their life, you know, being preoccupied. Tiredness um, has been identified as well where people are, you know, um, chasing losses, they're trying to win back money, so they're up through the night, um, 
gambling, you know, very, very stressed out. And like I said, you know, it's really when when the bills go unpaid and the debts start to build up, that that's where the problem impacts on family and wider society. So at that point, what does an intervention look like? Um, it can be difficult, you know, uh, people who are coping with uh, a gambler in the family who, who doesn't identify themselves as having a problem. Um, you know, that can be very difficult and people might feel frustrated into uh, issuing ultimatums, um, which generally don't work. So what we would be asking people to do is if you if you're struggling, if you're a person that uh, cares about somebody else and, and you think there's definitely an issue here, they have a gambling problem. They don't admit it. We don't know what to do. We would say to reach out and and look for support. There's therapists in the family resource centre. They're they're specially trained. They will be able to help you to support that person to open the conversation and to to start maybe a family intervention, and um, to encourage the person to look at their habits, to look at what's happening in their lives, and maybe to encourage them then to come in and talk to somebody. How successful? And I know this is a how long is a piece of string question, but how successful does the approach tend to be? Well, look, um, a lot of people, a lot of people recover uh, very successfully. And it all depends really on the approach. And everybody's different, um, you know, and everybody's addiction is different. And maybe for some people, um, you know, going into counselling um, and, and working with a therapist will help them through and will help them to, um, you know, get the tools and the resources and uh, the knowledge to to overcome their problem. There might be more complex needs, and you know if that's the case, maybe a residential program is what's required. And we know that um, anyone referred into Kunwara who now provide a specific um, gambling uh, residential program, um, they they come through that, and recovery is possible. So there is a huge amount of hope there. Do you know. Interesting text here. The difference with gambling is that sometimes you believe more gambling is the solution to the problem, whereas you never believe more alcohol is going to improve your your lot in life or smoking more cigarettes. But if you're chasing losses, you believe that last bet will be the final one. It'll cure all your ills. And that's that's where the problem is identified. You know, you're chasing that loss all the time. You're gambling way beyond your means and you think, you know, just one more bet, I'll get that money back. Um, and you're just caught in that cycle. And again, we've seen famous examples. Uh, Nick Gleason, Bearings Bank, he wouldn't necessarily describe himself as a gambler, but again, he started chasing losses and uh, again, gambled in effect the bank's money. Uh, there have been hugely destructive examples in people's personal lives as well. So... As a society, what policy lessons do we need to learn so that there aren't as many people coming through your doors, Pam? Well, well, this needs a broad public health approach. Um, You know, in terms of policy, targeted policies require sound data. And that's something that we're missing in Ireland. There's a deficit in research. Um, You know, there's a deficit around knowledge, uh, around the risk factors associated with problem gambling in Ireland. So this is an area that will require significant attention and hopefully, you know, it will with the appointment of a regulator to the industry and um, the, the the legislation that the government are bringing forward. And will the industry include the likes of the gaming community, uh, the likes of 
uh, the crypto community, the uh, brokers who uh, deal in stocks and shares, or will it be strictly interpreted as the bookies? Well, my understanding at the moment is that it it is the the kind of gambling online uh, and retail betting um, organisations that the that the regulator will be overseeing uh, initially, anyway. Well, for people who want to access the new service, which is available at the Portleash Family Resource Centre, how do they do so? So if you log on to our website, gamblingcare.ie, all the information that you need is on that website. There's loads of helpful um, tips around interventions and talking to people, um, you know, looking for signs of harmful gambling. But there is a page there dedicated to the Family Resource Centre, this new National Problem Gambling Support Service. And if you log on, it's, they're listed county by county. You click on your county and the numbers and contact details will come up and you just make a call and arrange an appointment. Pam, admire the work you do. Thank you very much for taking our call. Thanks so much, Will. That's Pam Bergen. She's the Chief Executive of uh, Gambling Awareness Ireland. And again, the website gamblingcare.ie. Just gone a quarter past 11. It's time to check out the range of suits for graduations, weddings and formal wear up to size 64 at Guy Clothing High Street Tullamore. The leading clothing destination for every man. Follow Guy Clothing Tullamore on social media. Headlands 103. Gambling is just such a pernicious, destructive, sinister uh, and discreet addiction, isn't it? And yes, there is a high-profile case, as many listeners have pointed out, involving uh, a GAA figure, uh, Malachy McNulty, uh, for the record, 39, of Summerhill, Ballad in Portlaoise. Uh, that case before the courts at the moment. He is a former principal of St. Francis Special School in Portlaoise, and he pleaded guilty in February uh, to, uh, in effect, stealing over €100,000 from that school and he will be sentenced later this month. But the court heard that he was doing so as a result of a gambling addiction. And the list goes on and on and they are cases that are just so destructive to the lives of the people involved. It's really sad. So... If there's somebody you're worried about, gamblingcare.ie is the website and look up your own family resource centre wherever you may live to see if the service and the support is available to you. A few people have suggested if you want to understand problem gambling, then you could do worse than watch Fair City at the moment because there's a character, Anto, and he is a problem gambler. And actually, James importantly says the actor is playing a blinder. And you learn so much about the signs and the goings on in the person's head. Likewise, Maureen in Mount Melick says he's getting into big difficulty and it is scary to see what can happen. And if you haven't been following Fair City, so Anto has been spending more and more time in the bookies of late. He's forgetting about family events. He's just so consumed with his betting. And he, of course, is splashing the cash and showing off how well he is. But in the background, what's really happening is that he's losing money and his financial situation is getting worse. And it even hits a point where he eyes up an envelope of cash and decides, hmm, I might steal this. So he's getting further and further in over his head. Anyway, I won't spoil 
the latest twists and turns in the plot. But it is absolutely accurate in the eyes of so many people who've commented online about Anto Unfair City and his depiction of problem gambling. So, have you had time to get over the COVID stone yet? Remember the weight we all put on because of the lockdown and... Maybe if you were allowed remote work, you were in the pyjamas more days than you were in the suit. And if you are just passing through life anyway, you'll find by a certain age the body shape changes, the colour of the hair changes. There can be all sorts of different challenges when it comes to picking out the right outfit. For the gents as well as the ladies. I'm still trying to decide should I tuck the shirt in or wear the shirt out. Somebody who's been giving this a lot of thought and has the expertise to guide you is Julie Cobb from uh, formerly uh, stylefish.com. Morning, Julie. Good morning, Will. How are you? Very well, thank you. And what are you up to these days? I know it's been a while since we've chatted. Um, I am working away, really. But I guess, as you've just said, with all of the shifts in the world now, um, I guess for me, I'm just trying to help women and men to go deeper with their style. I think we're all just, you know, sick of buying for the sake of buying. And so much has changed um, and we have changed. And so I'm, I'm helping and coaching women through that process of buying and wearing better for themselves. And just give us an example so we can all relate. What sort of dilemmas do these ladies have? I guess, you know, for me as well, I mean, there's been so much going on in the world and there's been a huge shift, I guess, in consumer behavior generally. Um, I think we all want to make more meaningful decisions on what we buy and consume. But also from a fashion point of view, it's also making better decisions about who who we are and buying from that place. Um, So I think... You know, a big thing is is about being a lot less wasteful, but also, you know, buying from a place of authenticity, knowing what suits your body shape, but just knowing what matters to you in your clothes. Like, are you somebody who loves, you know, has to feel comfortable going out of the house in the morning? Or are you somebody who actually likes to stand out and wear something that's a bit different? We're all really different in what we look from in our clothes. And in in all of us as well, we've built up over the years so many style biases and different associations and habits. And it's just quite hard to kind of understand them um, and know how to let go of them. So for me, it's about taking a step back, um, looking at who you are buying and then buy the cost of fortune, but buying the right things for you that you know you're going to wear, wear in lots of different ways while also feeling you're not damaging the environment any more than we, we already are, I guess. Well, let's confront some of the challenges. We had a lady in studio last week, Mary from Eden Derry, and of Mary Menopause on TikTok. <laughs> I love that. And the reason, anyway, Mary Menopause comes into this conversation is she mar- remarked on the size of her boobs and the weight of her yeah. boobs and that she was wearing bras that had this underwire that was really, really sticking in so, and becoming yeah. uncomfortable. And again, couldn't really find a way of, I suppose, smoothing it out or making it more easy to live with. Any thoughts? Yeah. 
Well, I guess like everyone, you know, it's, well, it's really challenging having a bigger bust as, as a lady. It is one of the big, biggest style challenges because when you think about our body shape and our bodies, I actually divide it into two halves. We all have a top half and we all have a bottom half. And that goes for the men as well. And when you meet somebody, you know, the first thing you look at, obviously, and see is, is the top half. You see their face and their shoulders and the bust, the top half. So it's actually much easier from a style perspective to, uh, to conceal and hide if you hold weight on your hips and your bum than it is on your bust. So I feel for Mary because it's, it's, it is a harder challenge to be bigger on the top half. Um, and, you know, it just comes down to simple things like wearing the, the right neckline, knowing that, you know, a higher neckline is just going to draw the eye more to the bust, keeping, which maybe sounds a bit weird, that by opening up the neckline, going for a V-neck or a soft, a softer neckline, a cowl neckline, um, that actually minimizes the bust. That's um, counterintuitive, so isn't it? You would assume, in effect, the, the lower yeah, the neckline, the more off. your eye will be drawn to it. Yeah, but think of the surface area of a polar neck. So if you see, a, you know, a woman with big boobs in a polar neck, essentially all you see is boobs because there's so much fabric, there's more fabric. But in styling, it's all about lines. So if you have a simple V-neck jumper as opposed to a polo neck and think of the line of the V, your eye is actually drawn to that section in between those lines, which mm. is higher up than your bust. And that detracts from looking at the bust, essentially, and thereby it makes the bust feel, for that lady, for Mary, it makes her feel, oh gosh, I feel more in proportion and I feel less conscious of my bust because I'm drawing the eye to another bit, essentially. And what about design and colouring on the top? Again, if minimising is the objective. Yeah, so... For me, you know, colour is, it's so fascinating. Um, and it, I guess the first step is understanding your skin tone. Like we either have a warm, we either have a warm undertone to our skin, a cool undertone or more of a neutral, which means we kind of get away with both. So certainly understanding that gives you a direction as to like cooler colours, blues and pinks or warmer colours, you know, oranges and greens, etc. But that's very, you know, that's kind of really getting into the nitty gritty. For me, you know, everybody says, oh, wear, a, wear black, you know, and that hides. Um, I feel in all my experience of styling, colour comes down to the individual person. And, you know, I could tell Mary that, you know, oh, she should wear black on top because it hides. But, you know, Mary, I'm sure, is a bright, vivacious, you know, mm. oh, um, she is, you know yeah. chatty person if she's if she's phoning you in, um, you know, and she wants to talk about this. And so I think, right, well, in my early days of styling, I would have said, oh, well, but Mary, you know, pink suits you. You have to wear pink. But now I feel I've really learned from shop floor experiences with Mary's that actually, you know, it's about what is Mary's personality and what's going to make her feel the most comfortable. Um, you know, and that might be just neutral, a neutral palette and it, or it might be a brighter palette. But you can't always go on just because the colour suits someone, they should wear it. Um, and the same with black. You know, I think black is very draining unless A, it's a very good colour or B, you just you feel like you're that kind of 
sophisticated black person, you know, and not everybody is. Well, if we can um, weave in a related question while we're on colours. Uh, right, a few I, pe- I so know where you're going now. This is the hair, isn't <laughs> Yeah, it? yeah. A lot of people <laughs> have inquired because once upon a time they were blonde or they were brunette or whatever. Yeah. And these days there's far more grey or maybe complete grey or even white. And nothing seems to match anymore. Yes, I know. It's a huge thing right now. And in lockdown, you know, women had no choice but to let the hair go grey because they couldn't get to the hairdresser. So it's caused this kind of dilemma of, I don't know, you know, I guess women are like, well, actually, there was a lot to be said for growing old gracefully and embracing the grey and making the grey stylish. You know, so it's such a huge topic. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, your skin tone dictates whether grey hair naturally suits you. So if you have a cool skin tone or a pink undertone in your skin, you will actually wear grey hair quite successfully. Um, You know, it doesn't mean you're going to love it. So that's another side of it. You know, you have to feel like you're ready for it. It's a big transition. But essentially, if you have cooler skin tone, Um, or that pink undertone in your skin, blue eyes, you know, paler skin tends to suit the grey hair. Um, And and actually, you know, I went through this myself um, and I've always said having cool skin tone myself, oh, you know, I'm going to go grey and let it happen. And, And then in COVID, I think life was sucked out of all of us and it's so nice to be back living, isn't it? And just being out and meeting friends and I kind of decided, you know what, I do want to do the great thing, but I'm actually just not ready yet. And so it's such a personal decision. Um, and I think you have to have an understanding of what it means from a skin tone perspective and, and the colors you can wear. If you had black hair and you're growing out your hair and it's now gray, it's massive. The colors that you'll your, your whole wardrobe can change in terms of what's going to feel good against gray hair and your skin tone mm. versus your black hair. Although sometimes um, you can get a double whammy as well, because around the time you're going gray, and many women will also find they're also through the menopause, through the change, there's more sweating. Yeah. Then the hair becomes yeah. frizzy, so they decide right, let's go short hair instead of long hair, and that creates a whole mm-hmm. series of other fashion questions. Yeah, it does. And I guess I'm going to bring in the Irish card here. You know, I think, and I'm based in the UK now, and I guess I see over here, well, it's, it's you know, I, I realise in Ireland how much women are impacted by, I don't know, just kind of cultural norms around style as well. You know, the amount of times I hear, oh, I can't do that now. I can't be walking down the street in Port Leash. And, you know, what will, what will, your, what will my neighbour say if I do that or I go grey or I wear this? And, and the short hair is part of that. Women cut their hair short because it's kind of like the thing to do. And, you know, again, it's another big reason for me of going down the road of, of coaching women through this process of change because it is huge to kind of stand back from the things we think we should do or the things we think are going to feel right and actually make those decisions from a place of you know what feels right for me um you know and you know some of the most stylish women that I know have long grey hair and they're in their 70s and 80s yeah you know and actually long grey hair can be very attractive speaking from a man's perspective yeah very sexy it's like 
it's just it's about wearing it in a way that you you know you own it and it feels right for you that is it's really hard to do that but that is ultimately what's going to make you feel the most stylish and life is just easier when you have that natural flow with what you buy and wear and you know connect to rather than aimlessly scrolling buying stuff you're not sure about and just going into the hairdressers and going on what they tell you do you know it's but it's really hard it's a, it's a real it's a true journey for sure what about the fellas we've concentrated on the ladies what sort of questions do the guys have well i think you know in in many ways it's the same set of questions i just i guess i guess for women it they, they think deep, more deeply about it and they're probably more willing to put the, the time and the, the work in to making that connection. Men are, are slower to, to do that. Um, but essentially, they have all the same que- issues and questions. You know, they all you have a colouring and every, every man's colouring is different, same as women's are. There's, you've got the cool and the warm. Um, you've got the body shapes. You know, there's just more standard, I guess, for men in shape as well. So it's more likely that you're concealing like a tummy. But mostly men are in, in styling are have their issues on the top half. You know, it's the beer belly or it's a bit more weight on the tummy. Um, and the bottom half tends to be less of a problem. Whereas with women, I find it can be the other way around. Um Plus, I suppose I, our teenagers are very quick to tell dads, at least anyway, when it's no longer cool to wear the T-shirt or when you should have the shirt tucked in or tucked out. <laughs> you know, yeah, they're great life yeah, dilemmas. Know. Yeah, I know. And you mentioned that at the start. I mean, you know, do you tuck it in or tuck it out? I mean, it's a huge, it's a massive thing in, in, in styling. And you've just said it, you know, it's the same for a guy. You know, you put on a lovely smart pair of jeans and... The difference it can make to your shape, you know. Actually, I'll give you a really simple example. Um, and my husband is like this. He's He's got shorter legs and a longer top half, a longer body. Okay, he's never thought about this until until I pointed it out to him. So, But he used to wear, so his top half is longer. And this is very normal. We all have either legs that are slightly shorter um, and a top half is longer or the other way around. So, so he has a longer top half and he used to buy shirts and wear them out and he'd buy them like maybe a size, you know, slightly longer. So in essence, he's longer in the top half. He's now wearing a shirt that comes down over his jeans and hence it's actually exaggerating his top half. It's making it even longer again. And what it ends up looking like is he looks like he's about to topple over. <laughs> Whereas the minute you took in the shirt think about it and so your jeans are lifted the line of your jeans is higher and so instantly your leg looks longer and your top half is more in proportion yes it makes perfect sense but I, I, I doubt he's put the same effort and thought into his appearance as you have he's lucky to have you there as a guide true but all you need is one person to tell you and so is see that one thing in, in your style means that's what you do. That is your shape. That's your shape forever. It's not changing. Your proportions won't change. So if you learn that, you know, you apply it forevermore. And it's always that thing that, you know, that's just one of the boxes you need to tick that helps you look taller and slimmer, more in proportion and feel better. We've only scratched the surface. 
You will have more at juliecobb.ie. And you can search for Julie Cobb on Instagram as well. Yeah, Yeah, Julie Eve, E-V-E, Cobb. And I have a private Instagram community there. So J-U-L-I-E, E-V-E-C-O-B-B-E. And I'd love, love to have you. Julie, take care. Great chatting with you again. Julie Cobb is originally from Port Arlington. Now, time on Midlands 103 coming up on 22.12. Got to get the skates on because we've got to discuss why having a blue flag beach at our lakes in the Midlands is something you should care about. And the inner workings of an Eastern European drug gang have been revealed after a man was jailed for a drugs bust in County Leash. We have some fantastic bathing spots here in the Midlands, mainly in County Westmeath, it must be said, but there are some elsewhere. And when you think of Loch Ree and Loch Ool and Loch Derevara, just the scenery around them is stunning as well. Uh, to the envy of the coasts, I would argue, but we're always going to fly the Midlands flag here. One difference is they don't have blue flag status. And you're going to meet a man who's making the case that we need to raise the quality and raise the profile and indeed raise the services in these areas and it would be to our wider advantage. Flan Barnwell, good morning. Good morning, Will. How are you? Very well, thank you. Tell us why this is of interest to you, first of all. Well, uh, it's uh, back a few weeks ago when it was announced that uh, the main announcement for Blue Flag Awards for 2022 uh, there was very little mention of any freshwater bathing areas. And I just thought to myself, well, you know, really, at Lawn and the St. Vernes and all the lakes within Westmeath and on the Common side and elsewhere, and also down around Loch Derg, I, I just did a bit, a bit of investigation and I found that in the total Shannon region, uh, which is massive, uh, that uh, there was only two areas that had blue flag beach status. Mount Shannon in Clare was one, and Portumna in East Galway was the mm. other. And I would be well aware, though I had a good interest in swimming myself, not as much freshwater swimming, but I, I, I'm, I'm aware that, in, particularly in the Athlone area, both at Hudson Bay and at Coosan Point, there's a very significant amount of swimmers that are, are engaging in freshwater swimming, particularly since the COVID. And everyone knows that, that all outdoor pursuits in Ireland have become an awful lot more popular. And there's people swimming uh, very long distances on a very regular basis, particularly uh, in uh, the case I would refer to, uh, uh, we say in Athlone, both Hudson Bay and Coosan Point. So I was aware that Ontashka is the body that uh, manages the whole concept of the blue flag uh, process. So I, I rang them and a guy I was talking to, Ian Diamond, he's the Coastal Awards Manager for the whole project. And he was extremely helpful, but he casually said to me, he said, by the way, Flan, he said, did you make any submission in relation to the bathing waters uh, uh, assessment done by the councils? And this was completely news to me, And but he sent me on a link and I found out that local authorities are obliged by both European law and Irish law to identify bathing areas within their county. Now, this is completely separate from the blue flag status. Right. But uh, th- I followed it up. The link he gave me, uh, I followed it up with on uh, Roscommon County Council's uh, website and uh, Westmeath County Council's website. And I found that it's supposed to be public consultation. But, but to my mind, I, I queried this. And, and the, for a public consultation, the only places where notices 
uh, were put up was on the council's own website. But now, no disrespect to the council, but there's very few people going in on a regular basis. Yeah, they were never going to get a huge response from that. Yeah. Accepted, yeah. And and the upshot of it is that, that, uh, for instance, uh, neither of the authorities has identified either Coosan or Hudson Bay uh, as bathing areas. Now, in fairness to the councils, they can say, well, no one contacted us. So then I just thought to myself, well, you know, well, and I would have a lot of friends in the swimming, fishing and boating and all that. And then I thought, well, surely to God, why not apply for blue flag status for these two areas? And, uh, and what would be the advantages, Flan, apart from trying to ensure good water quality? What other benefits would it bring? Well, first of all, there are issues about certain issues. I'm not in a position, I don't have the qualification to, to, say, to say that the, the waters aren't up to scratch. But obviously, if there are issues such as pollution, and for instance, I was made aware recently of some maybe small oil deposits on the water in Coosan, that may not be, people know that when oil hits water, it covers a good area and it might look an awful worse. But when it's when they... Uh, uh, when Antashka would say get involved in this, there's a huge amount of criteria, even such as wildlife, uh, boating. A lot of people think that, or oh, if it's blue flag for beach, it's to the exclusion of other interests. But it's what they uh, it's what they, they call multi-activity location. So it's not to the detriment of other users, the likes of fishermen or people, even uh, surfing, windsurfing and all that. That's all uh, uh, accommodated, including even a management plan, uh, a tra- even a traffic management plan, and even disabled access uh, to, to the facilities is all taken into account. OK, so you, and, you would argue that having Antashka involved, the National Trust, that it would require standards to be maintained in a much broader sense than just the water quality, amenity value, traffic, the whole surrounding area would benefit. Oh, absolutely. And that's it. I think I, I always assumed that the Blue Flag programme was for, we'll say, solely swimming interests. But it's as, as they say in their guidelines, multi-activity locations. And even to give you a, an idea of the extent of the regulations. Now, the regulations are international re- regulations, uh, and uh, there's then each, uh, uh, in this case, local authority, both Common and Westmead, uh, who would be responsible for the running of these facilities. Uh, they then can work out with local interest groups. It's not a question of someone handing down some kind of stiff regulations from on high and no one having a say in it. This could involve, the, the, I hate using the word stakeholders, but discussion with all the stakeholders, the farming, there'd be basically a management plan for the locations. For, for instance, even it can be a problem in very, both, uh, all over the country to some extent about where there's a high amount of even camper vans taking over. And they do like to, to park generally at scenic areas such as Coosan or Hudson Bay or that kind of thing. But it can be, and, and there's no one saying they should be excluded, but if there was a proper traffic management plan that could assign designated parking for that kind of... Uh, yeah, well, again, it's about joined-up thinking, actually. We about, discussed about a few weeks thinking. ago Waterways Ireland are conducting a feasibility study on having more caravan and camper locations along the inland waterways. So uh, Absolutely. Yeah, one would uh, complement the other. 
yeah, in, in fairness to the council, but, but as people in the areas that, that use the areas would know, both Coosan and uh, Hudson Bay, they both have good quality public toilets. You know, and it could involve, we'll say, for the regular swimmers, for instance, at Hudson Bay, there's a group generally of women that swim from very early morning uh, uh, and many times during the day. And that's winter and summer. And like, there's a lot of facilities that could be provided there, such as changing facilities and all that. Mm. Uh, but the actual regulations, the international regulations, uh, it actually totals 44 pages. And the great thing about it is when that comes down to national level and at local level, the standards specified in that 44 pages, it must not go below that standard. It could go higher, but it must not go below it. And, and people that might be concerned about about water quality, which obviously is of vital importance, that this this if the blue flag status is granted to both these areas, it will be a guarantee that the water quality is of outstanding quality, and the tests that are done would be done on a very very regular basis to ensure that that quality is maintained. Van, and I, I, think I I have to move on, but I think. You've made a case that's going to appeal to some people who may wish to get involved and there's always strength yeah. in numbers and maybe even a few politicians would take up the case. That never hurts. Absolutely. Um, so what would you see as the next move for anybody who's the interested? Next move, well, we, we've, already, we've already got a uh, move to the next stage and what, we're, what we have organised is an online petition uh, basically to give people the opportunity of saying that they are in favour of blue flag status or that they're not. And if they wish to give advance a reason, they can do that. And um, I think it would be very important uh, if, you know, I, I don't know, Will, if it would be possible for the link to be put up. Yes, we'll absolutely website. share it on midlands103.com. Yeah, Happy to. Yeah. yeah, and even for those that might see it there, I can just give you the... It's uh, B-I-T, that's B as in Brendan, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash at Lone Blue. And incidentally, on the very popular uh, Down Memory Lane Facebook page, uh, it's up on that too if anyone wanted to use that. Okay, but well get we, involved and have your say, I think is important. Absolutely. And we're actually, uh, well, to tell you the truth, the response we're getting is absolutely fantastic from all swimming groups, fishing groups, all boat users, boat clubs, aqua clubs, it's fantastic. And again, we want, to, we want to work with the local authority and Antashka uh, to bring this about, and that's what we're prepared to do. And I'm sure there'll be differing opinions and all that, but if, if the local authorities get involved with us as stakeholders, as far as we're concerned, we want to move in a positive way and, and try to have this achieved. It would be a massive achievement for the town. Imagine to be able to advertise that you had two freshwater blue flag beaches within a few miles of the town, and also to the benefit of both Roscommon and the wider Midlands area. I think it would be vital. So we'd be, we'd be very thankful if you did put up that link on your website. Happy to. Happy to. Flam Barnwell, best wishes in your endeavours and thanks for the call. Thanks. Thank you very much. Now, the link between a drugs bust in County Leash and the inner workings of an Eastern European gang. Let's get this story from Eamon Dillon. He's crime journalist at the Sunday World. Eamon, good morning. Good morning, Will. Set this up for us. What happened? Um, this, this is an interesting one. Um, well, I suppose the details behind it came out at, in Port Leash District Court last week, um, but it would have been linked to last August. Um, it would have made the headlines at the time uh, as a, a two point a two point four million seizure of cannabis at a warehouse near Emo. 
uh, and uh, you know that would have been that would have been the height of it. I think you know in terms of publicity, that's the, the you know the most people would, would have been aware. Mm. I know the uh, Garda Press Office released um, a photograph at the time, which kind of shown that it had been hidden in, in pallets of vegetables. But at the at the court case last week, then um, a 26 year old uh, Lithuanian national, a man called Ognius uh, Sakalis, had pleaded guilty to basically possessing uh, you know this stash of, of cannabis. 121 kilos, 2.42 million it was worth, and and he was on he was on 2,000 euro a month uh, as part of his, his duties for this particular gang. So he, he'd obviously given a, a series of interviews to guards uh, after his arrest, um, and you know between that and you know looking at his phone, they, they managed to put together, you know how he was recruited, how he was in communication with the main crime boss, and and other things that he had done for them. So you know, it was, it was an interesting insight from you know from the moment that the the, the pallets of chilies that, that in which the drugs were hidden were collected from Dublin Port and they were sent to, but you know via a legitimate haulier uh, to a legitimate company and then intercepted at the last moment um, to this other warehouse that had been rented in even though it was close to the M7 it was described as being you know pretty remote I think it's actually not too far from the the Montague Hotel it's in, in mm. that neck of the woods um, and and um, I think the the haulage company had been contacted by their driver saying, "Look, I'm after being redirected somewhere else." And they they called the guards, and it was a you know it was a non-duty officer you know called out and found this man standing in an empty warehouse with very little in it, apart from these pallets of 26 pallets of of, uh, of vegetables that had just been taken off. Um, so they figured something it was quite was wrong. unusual, yeah. yeah. Mm. And what was revealed? So they 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 went through, they got their search warrant. So there was a bit of you know rigmarole even from that point of view. They had to find out who owned the warehouse and then get permission to search it and so on. Um, and and then the pallets they discovered that had the drugs in were actually marked with a sticker. And when they dug dug down into it, it was just the chilies. There was other vegetables, but it was just the chilies had the uh, the drugs hidden in it. And they were they were tightly wrapped in polythene. So once one of those was cut open the, the officer who was given evidence how it was pretty obvious what it was he could, you know there was a strong smell which he got straight away so after his arrest then it turns out that um the 26 year old lithuanian sakalis had been in the country just a couple of months um he he'd been advertising on on facebook his his serv- you know his services as a mechanic he'd been contacted by this other other gentleman who met him in a disused car park in City West, and then from there on, their their communications were all done via telegram, which I, anyone who's following, I kind of uh, sort of the war in Ukraine knows that it's kind of it's the one that's mostly used, and it's, it's it's pretty much like a WhatsApp type uh, app, right. but it's 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 servers are based in Russia, and so it's pr- pretty much impossible for for the guards here to get any any kind of download of information. So they were using that, and um, it, it turns out then he was getting paid. He was getting. He was supposed to get paid uh, two thousand euro a month, but after two months, he'd only got one thousand because he'd managed to run up a three grand gambling debt with his boss. So you're getting this kind of how you know these these people sort of you know manipulate younger men or you know people who think they're they're they're, they're higher up in the in the pecking chain than they really are. So he, he was lucky enough, I think, that uh, Judge Keenan Johnson pretty much you know took the view that he was satisfied he wasn't the main player and that he wasn't benefiting for the, from the drug transactions. Um, but he did point out that he was doing this for monetary gains. So he, he gave him a, a stiff enough jail sentence of six years, which would be backdated to when he went into custody, which was last August. So he, he will spend a, you know, a, re- a reasonable amount of time in jail for that. But, um, yeah, but sorry. it's quite a convoluted story as to 
all the twists and turns, the gambling debt, uh, <laughs> but the vast yeah, amount can, of drugs can, involved. Yeah. What was the value? Yeah, two, 2.42 million worth of, and that, that would be the street value. That would be kind of the maximum price that was sold on the street. Now, like he, he was living in Clondalk and he'd, he'd come to collect the drugs in 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 Leash. And now there was no indication necessarily on this occasion where these drugs were going to be sold. Mm. Um, but there was other information that came out in court about the interviews with the guards that he'd been to Cork to collect money, um, that he'd done other transits as well. So that suggests that, you know, it was pretty much a, a, a national um, drug smuggling operation. I mean, certainly the amount in you know, 120 kilos isn't a small amount. So I mean, it was it was very much these, these are this is a you know a, a serious criminal operation, um, and this is a you know a, I suppose a 26 year old who was kind of not not necessarily suckered into it, but he, he obviously went in with his with his eyes wide open, and you know he thought it would be a handy two you know two grand a month, yeah. which he never which he never saw. And yeah, he he got what, a, a thousand in the end ultimately, and it was yeah, a heavy yeah. price for five years in prison. Pretty much, you know. Um, I, it was just, I, I kind of found it interesting um, because it was, it, it was a little bit of an insight into it. I mean, you can see where the love-hate scriptwriters and the kin scriptwriters from RGE, you know, were getting their, their, um, their inspiration from, you know, in real life. Yeah, life I mean, is sometimes like, stranger it, than fiction. Absolutely, yeah. Eamon, grateful for your time. You can read more in The Sunday World. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Will. That's where we leave it today. Claire O'Brien put the programme together back on your radio tomorrow morning from nine. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Bye-bye.